my wife is actually in California <clears throat> attending a seminar there, and so yesterday I had a little bit of extra time. And um, I never watch TV, and rarely, never on Saturday. Well, anyway, I, I had the, the History Channel on for just a little while, and they were playing these uh, continual episodes uh, called World War II. Maybe some of you have seen some of those, and they were just so dramatic. There were women that served as nurses in North Africa and actually followed the infantry and the Marine Corps uh, across the Gibraltar Straits into um, what was Europe and then all the way, eventually making their way all the way to uh, almost Berlin when the, the, world, when the war ended, uh, the European theater. And I was amazed at women serving and men serving and those who gave the ultimate uh, price of sacrifice so that we could be free. And uh, in a little bit, I'm going to be sharing from the Scripture because that's sort of a parable that our freedom comes at the, the price of another person, the cost to another person. And um, before I have you stand, if you have served, uh, and have you stand if you would like to, in prayer, remember someone who has served, a grandfather, an aunt, a sister, a brother, etc., I want to read something that was kind of, um, it was moving to me, and I wasn't going to share it, and Michael said, no, you have to. <laughs> so I did. So I said, okay, I'll share it. I've got to read it here on my little iPhone. And on Friday, um, many of you probably know, I became a Christian in 1973, and I was serving in the United States um, Navy on the island of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and came to Christ in a fairly dramatic kind of way. And I was so un, just overwhelmed at God's goodness. And uh, within that last year, before I was discharged, um, of course, I interacted with a lot of people. And on Friday, one of those people sent me an email. And the first one said, um, um, let's turn this thing around. Come on. The first one uh, was, I, you know, he, this guy, his name uh, was Don Adam. Um, he Googled me and he found a couple of sermons online. And then he sent me an email and he said, you know, I knew a Christian man. He was very kind of guarded, you know. I knew this Christian man back in Puerto Rico and he was attached to Mobile Construction Battalion 10. And uh, he was really a big influence on my life. Now, if you're not that man, I understand, but I just wanted to check. Of course, I emailed him back and I said, yeah, you found me. Yours truly, here I am. And he and I began to interact. And then he sent me this email. And I share this in, in, in no way... I share this because some of you wonder if your life matters. Some of you question whether what you do for Christ can even be seen. Well, here's the email, and uh, he starts this response to me. Praise God. <laughs> uh, he's a, an associate pastor. He said, uh, you, Jimmy Hyde, and Gunny Sergeant Johnson were used by God to minister to me, strengthen me in the faith, and encourage me to stand up for Christ. Your zeal, your love for Jesus, because of his great love for you, was forever branded in my heart. You were unashamed of the gospel, and you used every opportunity to share Jesus with those in our CB battalion. Uh, you were a living testimony of how God changes lives, and your passion for Christ was contagious. Um, and he goes on, he talks about his relationship with uh, 
Jim Hyde and then Gunny Sergeant Johnson. Um, but he said this, when I came home on leave from Puerto Rico, that was many years ago, that was over 40 years ago, the small church I grew up in in Independence, uh, Kansas, asked me to preach a sermon. The sermon centered around God's amazing grace in the people he sends to us to minister to us. You, Jim Hyde, and Gunny Sergeant Johnson were the gifts from God uh, to me that I shared on that Sunday so many years ago. Um, I found a handwritten sermon that day, and your names were in it, and that led me to try to uh, find you. Uh, And he said, "Um, God has been so good to me, I'll never forget the zeal, the passion that you had for our wonderful Savior, uh, Jesus. God bless you richly, uh, Don Adams. Now, that was a serendipity. You know, that was one of those, wow, where did that go? From a blast from the past... 40 years ago, somebody looking you up and say, you know what? You really influenced my life. And that is happening around this auditorium times 300. Every one of you um, are, are being noticed by people around you. If you've served in the military, as I have, I'd like to ask you to stand uh, with me if you would. I had a whole bunch of them in our first service. If you have a relationship with someone in your family or extended family that you would like to remember in this short time, we're actually going to do a little silent prayer for a moment. If you want to remember your dad, your uncle, your grandfather, your grandmother, your, you know, then I'm going to ask you to stand as well. I got to stand on uh, my dad's grave. Uh, this past Friday, and actually maybe it was Thursday, I don't know, Thursday or Friday, and I took my mom there. Maybe some of you saw this Facebook picture I put on Facebook. My mom was sitting on her stroller like this, just just praising God. I went, you know, well, we just miss miss them. And uh, let's just pray for a moment, and then we'll move forward. But I'd like to ask you to offer up a breath prayer. What that is is just a silent prayer of thanksgiving. If you were one who stood because you served, maybe a short prayer like, God, I thank you that that you used even me to serve this great nation. Maybe if you're standing in remembrance of a father or brother, aunt and uncle, whoever, um, just offer up a short prayer of thanksgiving for their service. Uh, Let's pray together, and then I'll just um, close this here in just a few seconds. Father, we so thank you and we so bless you for uh, just uh, with those, for those who have served. And Lord, we are so grateful uh, for your goodness in our lives through those that we love. And Lord, as we've taken now just a moment to reflect and to give you thanks, uh, Lord, I just praise you for um, all that you're doing 
uh, in our lives in these days, God, and we give you thanks uh, for uh, fathers and grandfathers, grandmothers, aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, all who have served this great company, God, and we, this nation in which we live. And, Lord, we remember that, um, that freedom isn't free, but that it actually costs uh, uh, people greatly. And, Lord, we pray for the posterity of this nation, that our greatness would not be taken uh, uh, advantage of, but that we would also be those who give their lives uh, in sacrificial ways to serve uh, you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and serve our fellow uh, brothers and sisters. And, God, we thank you now uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, if you would, and... um, I'm actually looking for something uh, on my little phone here that Dean sent it uh, to me the other day. I think I trashed it, and it's in my trash file. You don't happen to have that Are you around, Dean? Do you have it real handy on your on your um, phone? Because it really it sets up um, the the message that I want to share just very briefly um, here this morning, and um, it really sort of puts in in capsule form how the American um, church understands what it means uh, to walk in um, either through putting our own life under the microscope or, or putting the life that really matters uh, under the microscope. Uh, so I'm going to take one more second here and see if I can find it. Dean Hewitt quote. I got it, Dean. Beat you to it, brother. Um, this is from actually Billy Graham's uh, grandson, I believe. And he said this, uh, When the goal becomes conquering our sin instead of soaking in the conquest of our Savior, instead of growing stronger and more mature, we actually begin to sink spiritually. The accountability I need is the kind that corrects my natural tendency to focus on me my obedience or lack thereof, my performance, good or bad, my holiness instead of on Christ and His obedience, His performance and His holiness for me. When uh, we all possess the natural proclivity, how do you like that word? We all possess the natural tendency to turn God's good news announcement that we've been set free into a narcissistic program of self-improvement. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, having just shared that quote from uh, Billy Graham's grandson, I want to um, share just a moment with you in our remaining time here um, this notion of uh, Jesus and judgment. Now, if you were here last week, let me take 30 seconds and recap. We looked at the first, well, maybe verses 11, 12, 13, and down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, called the prologue of John's gospel. And in it, we found this last week, that the law came through Moses. And we said last week, and I will not say it in its entirety, that the law then brought the knowledge of sin and condemnation and judgment, etc. 
But contrasted to that, in those few verses of John's gospel, we find that um, grace and truth actually came through Jesus Christ. So what John is contrasting is the law that brings condemnation and, well, death, and grace and life that came through Jesus. Uh, And what we saw last week is that Jesus came for one, at least, of a number of very specific reasons. He came in order to reveal the Father to us. And he said to Philip on one occasion, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, what that is to say is that you cannot understand who the Father is unless you look at the person of Jesus. He was the embodiment of the invisible God. He was the incarnate Son of God. He, he embodied all of those attributes of the Father and came to then help us understand who the Father was. Uh, to put it another way, I said last week uh, from John, we beheld His glory. His glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, we're given glory here. We, have, we honor God and have a good opinion of the Father if we apprehend Him fully through Jesus, the revelation of the Father. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because um, I believe that in our day in which we live, the church has not fully understood the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Um, So in Romans chapter 5, I want to begin here, and then we're going to take a little short stroll through the book of John. Uh, But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5 with me, and I'm going to look at three verses with you, beginning at verse 17. Um, How many Bibles do we have in the house? Oh, we got a few. Good. Those of you who don't have them will have the luxury of reading that ultra-fine print one in front of you, which I can scarcely see anymore. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17 Uh, says this, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through that one. Now, let me put this up here so you can see that. Um, We're talking about Adam's offense. So uh, the Apostle Paul is now drawing a contrast between Adam, the first Adam, and Jesus, the second Adam. That's what he's doing in the next three verses, actually four or five. Uh, but we, we just read that, for if by one man's offense, and that offense of man was Adam, if by one man's offense, death reigned through that one man. Now he's going to set up the contrast. We're just going to look at this for a moment. Jesus, then, the second Adam, is the one who, who came, became obedient, even obedience um, of, to death on a cross. Back to verse 17. Just follow with me for a minute. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through that one man. So let's put death up here. Because in Adam, the scripture says, all die. Everybody say boo. It's not a good thing. Boo. In Adam, when we inherited the nature of Adam, the Bible said we died. More specifically, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, God said, you can eat of all the trees in the garden except one. And in the day that you eat of that one, you shall die. It's a spiritual death. Uh, well, you know how what happened, um, that they actually ate of that tree and they died spiritually. Now, this may be revelation to some of you this morning. So 
through the offense, verse 17, of, of, through one man's offense, death came into the world and reigned through that one man. Let's read a little bit further. Verse 18 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, that's Adam, judgment came to all men. So not only did Adam disobey, and not only did we inherit his death, but in Adam, we inherit the judgment of God because of the disobedience we inherited from Adam. You see that? So far, this isn't good news, is it? In Adam, all die. In Adam, we receive that death. In Adam, we become liable to the righteous and just judgment of God. Let's read a little bit further. Uh, For verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in, the New King James says, condemnation. So let's put this up there. We have Adam's offense. Death came to him and through him to us. We incur the judgment of God and the condemnation. Now, let me just mention right here that the two words, judgment and condemnation, both have the same Greek root word, krinos. The judgment of God, when God judges a man uh, offensive, dead, he judges him. The condemnation is the just verdict of damnation. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what the word condemnation means. Now, let's read on just a little bit further. Um, For verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So let's add sinner over here. Now, the reason I'm doing this, I've taken the first part of verse 17, the first part of verse 18, and the first part of verse 19 that sets up the contrast. In Adam, you died, I died. We incur the just judgment of God, the condemnation, because we have inherited the nature of a sinner. Now, the church in America is camping out right here. Now, we understand grace. Yep, yep, yep. Nope, nope, nope. Because, and you'll see it in our judgment of other people. You'll see it in our inability to forgive ourselves when we act stupid. We want to beat ourselves. That's, that's beat yourself a little. <laughs> you know, we see it in all kinds of ways because the church is camping out right here. Adam sinned, I sinned, he died, I died. I deserve God's judgment. I deserve his condemnation because I'm a sinner. And oh, by the way, my actions, my attitudes, and my words corroborate the lie that I'm still in Adam. Now, I still have a flesh and I can still sin. However, let's read the rest of the story. Now, if we go back to verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through that one man, read with me, New King James, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. Let's put this up there. So Jesus comes, and instead of death in Adam, we inherit life. It's the Zoe, life of God. The life that you and I have in Christ is not life that we inherently have. 
It's the, it's the life that is given to us, literally imparted to us by the Spirit of God who takes up residence in our life. So that no longer are we living out the, the just desert of death and judgment. Rather, in Jesus, we have life. And not only do we have the Zoe life of God, but that Zoe life of God causes me to be a little bit different. It causes me to reign in the midst of life where I used to be in death and judgment and condemnation. Now the Bible says I can begin to reign in life. Why? Because God has given us life. Where does the life come from? It comes from the obedience of Jesus. Even when I'm, when I do, uh, sinful actions, it's not my activity that makes me righteous. It is, let's read a little bit further. We, we, uh, reign in life having received the abundance of grace. Now the abundance of grace is this grace that you, that is so big, you can't get away from it. You can do things over here that are uh, disobedient to the Spirit of God, but the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does more abound. See, what that means is that when you receive in Jesus the, the, the life of God and you begin to reign, it's because you have received the abundance of grace. And guess what? You can never deserve grace. That's why it's the gift of righteousness. Now, I still can do things that are wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying that the way you move out of Adam and his offense is only through Jesus and his obedience. The way you move out of death is begin to receive the life of the Spirit because of what Jesus did. We move out of judgment through the grace of God and the condemnation, the sentence of damnation because of our sin. We deserve damnation and condemnation, but instead we're given the gift of righteousness. Oh, it even gets better. If we read on, it says that we are now justified. Now, if the two words over here, judgment and condemnation, have the same Greek word in their root... The word righteousness and justification are the very same word in their root. It's diakon, whatever. (laughs) Diakonasune or something like that. It's a long long word. But it's the same root. It's the righteousness that comes to you by virtue of someone else. Uh, So in Jesus, because of his obedience, I receive his life and begin to reign through his abundance of grace, through the gift of righteousness. I am therefore... Uh, justified. Let me give you the text on that. We're in 17 through 19. It says that verse, uh, where are we? 18, 19, uh, end of 18. Even so through one man's righteous act, that's Jesus, through one man's righteous act resulting in justification of life. In other words, you can't deserve to be justified or made righteous Because it's the abundance of grace and the free gift that God gives to you only through Jesus. Now, here's the really good news. We were sinners by our sin, but Jesus comes along with his obedience and gives us life through grace, calls us righteous, and it's a gift. We spent a lot of time last week looking at it is by faith. Now, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, Romans 1, the just shall live by 
faith. It's through faith in what Jesus did. And when we walk in his righteousness, having been justified, we are made righteous. And God now calls us, you can't read that perhaps, saints. Now, how many of you know saints are real different than sinners? Now, I'm talking to some of you here. Because you've been fed the lie and you have believed it all of your life that you were just an absolute worm. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Brothers and sisters, that is a true statement. But it is not the complete answer. I was a sinner. And I was saved by the grace of God. Given righteousness through him, justified and made righteous. And God now calls us a saint. Does that mean I can't do bad things and sin? Come on, shake your head. No, that's my flesh. But in my spirit, man, God says, this is who you are. If anyone is in Christ, he is and she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. What old things? Death, judgment, condemnation, your sinnerness. Doesn't mean you can't sin. You see, we get all tripped up on this theological gymnasium saying, oh, well, I must be a sinner because look at me. I just said something crazy to my wife. I just did something I knew I shouldn't have done. Therefore, I'm a sinner. No, I am a saint saved by grace through the justification of the blood of Jesus. And I have chosen to do something that I knew was wrong. See, that's different. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when we begin to understand that we are saints because of the obedience of Jesus, not because of my own obedience, the sin that does so easily beset us literally begins to fall off of our lives. It's no longer as important as it once was before. Now, let me shoot through this. I want to just walk through the Gospel of John real quickly. Take about 10 more minutes. And uh, let's see what Jesus has to say about this thing of, um, of judgment. Because I'm convinced the church doesn't really understand judgment. Because as soon as I do something wrong, I judge myself. As soon as somebody else does something wrong, I judge them. Because I'm in a functional mechanism of law and condemnation and judgment rather than walking in the grace of God. Therefore, I have a hard time giving the grace of God away. John chapter 3. Let's look at this first text, verse 17. All of you could probably quote John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn To bring judgment on the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Brothers and sisters, the new covenant is really new. It is so radically different from the old that says you perform and then God might love you. When you come to the new, it is a new covenant. It is a better covenant. You have a better priest. If you read the book of Hebrews, there's a better sacrifice. It's his blood. And if there was glory on the old way, man, this glory is amazing. You see, it's a new covenant. So John three seventeen, he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now flip over to John 5, chapter 5. Let's look at a couple more texts here. John chapter 5. Verse 21 says this, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them. Now, remember in Adam, all did what? 
all died. As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one. Uh, Would you say that again? The Father judges no one. It's in red, by the way. These are the words of Jesus. The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, Jesus took judgment upon himself. And Isaiah 53 says, and by his stripes, he took that judgment right there to that cross and nailed it. Your sin and my judgment and our condemnation. He took it upon himself. So the Father judges no one. Let's look at verse 24, same chapter, verse 5, or chapter 5 of John. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word, he who does what? Hears my word and believes. And does what with it? Believes. Okay, so hearing and believing are critical. Uh, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. That's present tense. You've got everlasting life right now. And that person who hears and believes uh, shall not come to judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Shall we read, read that again? Um, he who hears and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and that person shall not come into judgment. But they've passed You can't really see it here. Passed from death and you've passed into Zoe, the life of God. See, so the the judgment has already been, you've been judged at the cross. That's the good news. That's the point. Believers have been judged already at the cross. Let's look at a couple more. Um, Turn now to chapter 8, 8 verse 15 in John's gospel. And it says this. Um, he was talking to the Pharisees here, um, and I'll go up a little bit further. Jesus answered, and he said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. Uh, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, uh, but you do not know where you come from and where you're going. In other words, you guys don't have a clue. That's my interpretation of what that just meant. Verse 15, the judge, you judge according to the flesh... I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me, and the Father is is with me. Now what he's saying here is I don't judge anybody. He came to save the world, not to judge it. Now Jesus was walking in this whole new realm that we're just starting to understand. So John chapter 12, now if you slip over uh, to chapter 12, let me look at a couple more texts here with you. John 12, uh, verse 31, I'll start at verse 30. Jesus answered and said to them, This voice did not come because of me, but for you, for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world has been cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men, all people to myself. This he was signifying by what death he would die. Now what Jesus is saying there is that now the judgment is already happening. Jesus was in the world to save the world and he was judging the world's sin in the tree that he gave his life on. 
And now the ruler of this world is being cast out. Do you know that the enemy's number one trick is to get you to believe his lie about yourself? If he can get you into agreement with him, you're just, uh, you know, and you fill in the blank. And we start believing that mess. Yeah, I'm just a, no. What does God say about me? See, I am who God says I am. Thank you very much. I'm not even who I say I am. I'm who God says I am. And as a person who has been purchased by the redemption, by the blood of Jesus, you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You are therefore, you are not who you even think you are. You're not who your husband says you are. You're not who your wife says you are. You are who God says you are. And when the church gets a hold of that, things really begin to ramp up and happen quickly. Judgment has already happened. The ruler of this world has been judged. John chapter 12, verse 47 uh, says this. If anyone hears my word, there it is again, hearing the word, and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him already. The word that I've spoken will judge him on that day. You see, Jesus did come for judgment, but he came in, the, in a suffering, um, as a suffering servant to take our sin unto himself. And only those who did not hear and would not believe would be the ones that were judged by his presence and by his word. And that's where we're going to end here in just a minute. I do not judge him because I've come not to judge the world but that the world might be uh, saved. Now, John 16, a little more difficult to interpret, and I'm not sure I got the latest and greatest on this. But in John 16, beginning at verse 8, it says this, Nevertheless, talking of the Holy Spirit, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come. Um, and if I depart, I will send him to you. You see, that's the, prom- that's the promise to the Christian, that, that God said... I will send my spirit to live in them and I will remember their sins and their iniquities no more. I'm quoting from both Jeremiah uh, and in Isaiah. He'll remember our sins and our iniquities no more. Why? Because there is a sin bearer that he would send, the Lord Jesus. Now, and the spirit then is given uh, and verse eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Now look at verse 9 and following. What is this thing about convicting the world of sin? He's going to convict the world of the sin of unbelief. Secondly, he's going to convict the world of righteousness, Jesus said, because I go to the Father. The only way I can understand that is that there is only one person who is righteous, and that's the Lord Jesus. He came, he gave his life. He died, he was buried, on the third day he was raised from the dead, and he ascended to the Father, and sits at his right hand right now. Now, if you were with us during the study of the book of Ephesians, it says that when Jesus ascended, we ascended with him, which means where are you right now? If you're in Jesus, you're with him, sitting right there, right in him, right now. You see, I convict the world of righteousness because I'm going to the Father. And when he goes to the Father, brothers and sisters, I go with him. If you're in Jesus. Now, not only will he do that, but he will, he will 
uh, convict of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged and thrown down. You see, the redemption that is ours by free gifting by God is so enormous that the human mind can't understand it. That's why Paul prayed that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, bing, so that we might know. You see, the the width and the depth and the, the height and the love of God that passes knowledge, you can't get this stuff by simple intellectual assent. This is the revelation to the heart. And when the heart of a believer receives that message and believes it, Romans 10 says, you believe in your heart unto righteousness. How do you get righteousness? You hear it and you believe it. You go, oh, pastor, that's too simple. That's what Jesus said. I think I'm going to believe him. Why the Bible says, let every man be a liar. God is true. Let me give you a couple more here. Now, Hebrews, we're right here at the end. Hebrews 9.27 says this. It is appointed uh, to men and women to die and then the judgment. Oh, no, I knew it. Here comes the bad news. Well, if you read that scripture in Hebrews 9, the very next text says this. Christ was offered once... To bear the sin of many. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 5, 17, 18, and 19. By one man's disobedience, death came, judgment came, condemnation came. We inherited the nature of sin. When Jesus came, the abundance of grace was given. The free gift was given to us. We become righteous in him. In Jesus, I am righteous and I'm now a saint. You see, Christ offered uh, himself wants to bear the sins of many. You see, there is a judgment coming, but you won't be there if you've trusted in Christ. Let's push this a little further. Let's push it a little further. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12, talk about the great white throne judgment. And brothers and sisters, it is an amazing place you don't want to be. Why? This is what Revelation 20 says. I saw the dead. Who are the dead? In Adam, all died. You see, those are the dead that are standing before the great great white throne. They were small and they were great. They were slaves and they were kings of the earth. But notice, and they were standing before God. And the dead were judged according to their works. How would you like to stand there and be judged by what you have done? That's why Romans 3 says, let every mouth be stopped. There is none righteous, no, not one. If we had to stand in our own strength and our own righteousness, no, we would all deserve the just wrath and condemnation of God. Only the dead will be here, the dead in Christ. Those who have rejected Christ and have not believed and have not received the free gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a free gift. Now, you might be sitting here and you're a little bit smarter than I am and you're starting to connect the dots. Whoa, Jesus, is this really this important that God would send his only son 
to die on a cross and that he would pay the penalty for my sin and he would take all of my guilt and all of my condemnation and all of my judgment and all of my sinful yada, yada, yada. And the answer is, yeah, you're connecting the dots. And the free gift then comes to us. It's, the, it's this, this, this unbelievable, gracious extension of the love of God saying, you want a gift? Guess what? It's free. Come on in and get it. This is this judgment is for those who reject Christ, who don't believe and have not received that free gift of righteousness. Let's go one step further and we'll end. Second Corinthians 5:10 says Paul says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now this is different than the great white throne where the dead are judged according to their works. The judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat, literally, of Jesus, um, is, it's, it's, it's taken from um, the, the Greek um, track and field guys, you know. And, and what this is, if you, if you read it in its context, he said every believer in Jesus will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but these believers there will be rewarded. Can you say rewarded? That's good news. Well, yeah, mostly good news, unless we sit on the gift and don't do anything with it because it empowers us to do stuff. See, believers are rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ according to what we have done with the righteous gift given to us in Christ. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. You can't say, I love God and hate your brother. I'm sorry. Get over it. You can't. You say, well, isn't that performance? Absolutely not. It's the work that grows out of the heart that has been transformed by the Spirit of God. And as God has graciously imparted His Zoe life to us, we can't help but share it with people around us. You see, that's what this judgment is about. It's the judgment seat of Christ where believers will be rewarded. Everybody say, rewarded. There are some of you who are doing stuff for the kingdom and nobody ever sees it. Except there's one who sees everything. Before him, him with whom we have to deal, he sees everything. Remember the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is nothing clouded from the gaze of him with whom we have to deal. God sees it all. He sees the mom who washes out the diapers. And he, you know, continues to serve and love a husband that ought to have correction. Yeah, God sees our labors of love that grow out of our life of Jesus within us is the point. Now, Romans 5.17 is where we sort of started. Much more than those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. The final scripture. First John 4.17 says this. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness and confidence in the day of judgment. Now beloved, what gives a man or a woman confidence to stand before almighty God at any point where judgment is being meted out? There's only one thing. That's the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that's given to you freely through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
his death, his resurrection. The entire work of God was focused on a person who came and gave his life on a cross so that we might have life. There was a transfer that happened. My sin went to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness comes to me. It's an imputed righteousness to be sure, but it's real nonetheless. It was credited to your account and to mine based upon his obedience, not yours. Is that good? Let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we? And then let's pray.